So it's mid-January, and the year has already begun. And so our question today is, how are those resolutions coming along? All the things maybe you said you would do in this new year, or the things that you said you wouldn't do, making a laundry list of how to improve my life. I'm going to do more. I'm going to take on more. I'm going to sign up for a program. I'm going to get my intellectual and spiritual and physical and emotional act together. We all do this sometimes when we begin again, a new beginning, a new year, to take inventory of just what is it I want to improve on? And that's quite natural. It's good to take inventory, to check ourselves out, whether it's physically or emotionally or spiritually. But there's a danger in doing that. There's a danger spiritually in thinking that if I do more for the Lord, I'm going to go to confession once a month, I'm going to say a daily rosary, I'm going to sign up for a soup kitchen to help the poor. I'm going to give maybe five more percent of my offering. That one you can do. Don't give up on that resolution. Thank you. I'm counting on you, literally. Thank you. But if we think we can do all of that and please the Lord and have a report card at the end of our lives that we can present upon presentation, to Jesus and say, here it is. See all the good things I've done, all the improvements I've made. Teachers' comments below, see? Right, Lord? See, that's an old heresy called Pelagianism. Pelagius and others, and so many even today, have reduced Christianity to a kind of self-improvement program even a kind of spiritual Olympics. If I just simply go for the gold and work hard enough at this, hard work will get me to heaven. And if I don't do that, I know I'm going to hell. Now that's an Anglo-Saxon Puritan work ethic, I've talked about this before, that we have inherited in our land, and that is not Catholic. Now the truly Catholic understanding of our religion is a Roman Catholic a Mediterranean phenomenon. It's not about the work as much. Oh, it's important. But it's secondary to the work that he has accomplished already by his life, death, and resurrection. And we are simply participants in that work, the work of God made man in Jesus. Now that's kind of the nutshell of Christian spirituality. If you can get that piece clear, you then begin to understand in faith what he is doing in, with, and for you. Not my work as much as his work. And my works are a participation in that work. Otherwise, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. 
See, Satan would love for us to think it's all about me, and so go for the gold, yeah. Work harder. Make more resolutions, more vows, more promises, right? But we don't succeed so often because we're weak, because we're sinners. And so if I'm going to put all that emphasis on me and my program of self-improvement, where's room for Jesus in that? As though I have to win his approval, win his love, win his blessing. Friends, we have it. We already have it. We've had it for two millennia until the end of time. And now it extends to the time even before Jesus, from day one to the end of time for all religions, for all philosophies of life, for every man and woman who is open to the love of God, not to themselves first, but to him, who loved us so much that he entered into a covenant, an eternal and new everlasting covenant of love, of forgiveness, of mercy, with the pledge and promise of the resurrection of the body. This is his work. And isn't it fascinating that Jesus, his first public display of miracle, manifesting the epiphania, the manifestation, the showing of his divine power at age 30 at a wedding ceremony. The context is incredibly intelligent. Jesus has waited for this moment. Why? Because in the wedding is the mark of the covenant between bride and bridegroom. And so he's going to set up then this as the archetype, a kind of metaphor for his covenant with himself as the bridegroom and the church as his bride, you and I. An everlasting covenant of love. Now the context is important because here they've run out of wine. Can you imagine if I had said to my mother, woman, how does your concern affect me? Uh, no good. No, that, that would not go well. Our Lord is not disrespecting Mary, his mother. You know, the context always is no one can tell Jesus what to do, even his mother. And she will have no desire to manipulate him. Oh, other mothers do that. Remember the mother of James and Zebedee's sons who say, Lord, when my boys get into heaven, promise me one will be at your left and one at your right, because mommies want that for their sons. And Jesus says, woman, you have no idea what you're talking about. Right? Jesus will not be manipulated. You can't make a deal with him and say, Lord, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. It's not let's make a deal. No, we don't come before the Lord saying, I'll do this for you, you do this for me. It's not 
on a business relationship. It's not contractual. It's not a contract in that way. It's a covenant. So he's in control of this, and he says to the waiters, look, you bring me some water. Now, that's a lot of water. These were what? Six large amphora vats holding 20 to 30 gallons each. It's a lot of water to pull from the well. And these guests are, well, they're eager to drink, you can tell. They've run out of wine. And a Jewish wedding goes on for days, by the way. It's not just two hours at some hotel. It's a long process. It's a weekend, sometimes a week. These people come from all over. They've been traveling days, weeks, to get to the place. They're hungry, they're thirsty, and they want to celebrate. So again, the context. So Jesus takes this water, and what does he do? He transforms it. So they can have a celebration. The Anglican Puritan says, well, you're out of wine. Hey, sorry, party's over. Jesus says, no, the party will go on. The celebration goes on. It's a sign of the eternal covenant of his love, of his mercy, of his desire that we live a life of joy. Now, if I were the head waiter and tasted this wine, I would be suspicious. Where did it come from? What's the vintage? What's the grape? How much did it cost? Nothing. He says, this is the best. Where'd you get this? And you're serving it last. You've saved the best for now. He's taking the little bit and transforming it. So in this new year, you've made this list of resolutions and maybe you become disappointed that you can't quite do it, that your self-improvement program is failing or ho-hum, or maybe you're taking some steps backward. Doesn't matter. No, you give him the little bit that you have. Now, what's your little bit? I'm going to suggest the following resolution. Keep it simple. Three things. A trinity of resolution. Good things come in threes. I love you, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Keep it simple. Our Lord likes simple things. I love you. I'm sorry. Thank you. Now, he can take just a little bit of that as he did water and transform it. You want to love the Lord? Let him love you more. Give him more room. Give him the little bit of love you have. He will transform that and love you and show you what love really is, if you trust it, in a marriage, in a covenant of love. Everybody in marriage knows you've got to take a risk. If you really want to love that person You've got to be open to it. 
Sometimes it's mysterious. Sometimes you don't know where it's going. But you invest with trust in love. And it comes back to you. Or maybe it doesn't. But with Jesus, it always will come back. His sacred heart is an immense well of love. Just like that wine. An immense display of love. You say, I'm sorry, just a little bit. Lord, I'm sorry. Or say that to your neighbor, I'm sorry what I said, what I did. Take a little bit of a step, a baby step, and the Lord will take that and transform that sorrow into an immense well of forgiveness, which is his love as well. And just simply to say thank you, Lord, for today, or whatever I'm going through, I'm grateful for the gift of life. I'm grateful for my faith. I'm grateful for my children, for my family, opportunities. I'm grateful for being an American in this complex and crazy world. I'm grateful to be at St. Anne's today. And I'm really grateful when the pastor says his homilies with few words. So let's get to the point then. Because my resolution is trying to keep it brief and sincere and be seated. Give the Lord the little bit and he'll do the rest of the work. We gave him a little bit of work to do. And look what he's done. He's cleaned it up. We messed it up. He cleaned it up. Beyond our expectations. Beyond anything that we could ever do to make this world perfect after we messed it up. And we're still trying to make it heaven on earth, right? Friends, you can make it a better place, but you can't make it the best place. No, keep that for heaven. That's what he's done. He's opened that gate to us. And he's promising even now a pledge and promise of that joy when we give him the little bit of I love you, I'm sorry, and thank you. And isn't that really, in a sense, the mass? Three elements. I love the Lord, so I come to worship. I express my sorrow in the act of penance. It's the first thing we do at Mass. I'm sorry for my sins. And then we proceed to Eucharist. Eucharistia in Greek. Thanksgiving. Love, sorrow, and thanksgiving. Beautiful. So in a nutshell, our resolution is here. And to be mindful of the fact that he has always made an, a resolution which he's never broken. He has never broken his resolution to love us, to forgive us, and seek to redeem us and bring us back to him. He does that even now. Through, again, something so simple, like a piece of bread and a cup of wine. And just like Cana in Galilee, transforms it, transubstantiates it, makes it more precious than wine, his very blood for you, for me, 
to forgive our sins once again in the great act of his love. Blessed New Year. Keep that resolution in mind.